0: Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Welcome back. Kevin's Corner on a Wednesday afternoon, September 21st. I am Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is across the way. It is a steamy one here in Indianapolis. Football weather seems to be on the horizon, but today felt like training camp frankly out at uh, west 56th street honestly i don't remember a day at grand park being as hot as today was i think that first day yeah, was I pretty think about hot it.
1: that first day we went to it was
0: that first outdoor practice was, yeah it was the pretty. first practice they were indoors yeah and then yeah that yeah that first one was a little sticky but um yeah that's one where you just walk today's one of those days where i like because i walk to the car and i've worked out for the day yeah, you know, it just feels good. I'm like, oh, I'm already sweating. This is great. Don't have to work out. Uh, that's what today is here in Indianapolis. Uh, the home opener, Jim Nance, Tony Romo on the call here on Sunday afternoon from Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, it'll be interesting for many, many reasons this game. I think what and how the crowd looks like and reacts, I think, will be something as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, like we do every Wednesday podcast here in the regular season, we'll give our prediction. Um, today's podcast, I, I guess, is kind of a potpourri is the word that's coming to mind. Yeah, it was always kind of a great Jeopardy category. I haven't watched Jeopardy in a while, though. I should dial that back up. But um, a little bit of everything. You know, when I was out last week, I felt like, man, there's a lot of kicker stuff that I should bring up on the podcast when I do get back in the studio. And then... I guess a little bit of T.Y. Hilton stuff that I want to mention as well. Um, and then we do have some Twitter questions. A lot of them in the last 48 hours that have been sent to myself and Eddie, but some from week one that I thought was relevant. So um, I don't want to act like this is just me rehashing week one, but there will be a little bit of everything on today's podcast. Eddie, you got anything before we uh, hop in? Uh, before we hop into like the stuff we want to talk about today,
1: uh, at practice... Yeah, Uh, Any notables? Pittman, Pierce out there?
0: Yeah, Michael Pittman out there. Alec Pierce out there. Alec Pierce in a blue jersey. So that's good. Sounds like the final step of concussion protocol is his clearance. Um, Now, I think with both of those guys, probably Pittman more than Pierce, the Thursday practice report will be the big one. You know, because last week, if I'm not mistaken, both of them practiced Wednesday. And then... You know, some stuff developed Thursday. I think for Pierce, was a little bit later in the week in that he wasn't able to clear that concussion protocol. But good early news on that front. Uh, Bernard Ryman was not practicing. He was walking very gingerly out to practice. So I would say his availability for Sunday is up in the air. Therefore, Matt Pryor, you are retaining your left tackle job, if that is even a debate internally. We can get into that in Twitter questions. Uh, and then lastly, Shaquille Leonard. He continues to practice you know, I know everyone wants to know, is he going to play? Like, if you're asking me at 3-11 on Wednesday afternoon, I, I think he might miss another one. I, I'm i starting to think back to the Chris Bauer press conference, Eddie, when Chris says when Shaq gets out to practice now that he's off the pup list, it's like the first day of spring. Boy, that's been true. I mean, we're, we're four weeks into him practicing. This is week four of him practicing, so um, they continue to be very, very patient with this. Um, So, I don't know, maybe something, I'll hear something or see something that'll make me think differently, but after just a brief Wednesday observation, I'm not thinking it's a slam dunk he's out there on Sunday. Just make sure you search through the Darius Leonard or Shaquille Leonard liked tweets on uh, Twitter. That may give you some inclination. Yeah, that's probably always a um, always a safe route to go with. Um, okay, let's begin here, Eddie. I want to begin with Ty Hilton. And um, as I drove back down here to our studio, I thought about going past Lucas Oil Stadium because I think we're in the midst of the Ty banner going from "Thanks for the memories" for a week to I think just being removed. To you I assume. Uh, Will it be a horseshoe? I, I thought it would be Jonathan Taylor.
1: Oh, that that would be my guess, too. But sometimes, you know, they don't have them ready yet. Yeah, sometimes so, they do
0: throw up the old horseshoe Yeah, um, for the time being. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure, Eddie, you saw his agent's tweet from a couple of days ago. I did not. Did you not see that? Okay, Michael Katz, his agent, tweeted a couple ghost emojis. And then, ty like 13 times. Um, pull that up, Eddie, because I, I want to see if he's had any... Update on that or anything like that. But when I first saw it, I'm thinking, "Oh boy, agents don't typically tweet much. When they do, it's about a client." What's his Twitter handle? Do you know? Michael Katz is his name. Um, with a K, C with a K, yeah. I, Uh I could probably look it up. NFL agent Katz. Um. So, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy, is this something? Is this T.Y. coming back? You know, what is it? Then you had Tampa Bay signing Cole Beasley. Was it some of that? You're trying to read into things, and it's probably just a waste of time. But I guess I bring up T.Y. to think the thanks for the memories banner, it being brought down. If this is it for T.Y. Hilton, whether it be in Indianapolis or whether it be in the NFL, that's me. Um, I'm standing, I'm clapping. I I just think it's an incredible career. And I, I don't like to just throw that around. I, I, I think it's one of the more impressive Colts careers. And I know that might sound weird, but like this dude was a late third round pick. Um, he didn't have the body type that a lot of NFL people want in a receiver. I mean, I would. Count the Colts' current general manager in that group. Uh, and as much as T.Y. Hilton's injuries, I think, played a little bit of a bigger role than maybe they should have late in his career. At one point, Eddie, he played 94 of 95 games and played through a lot of shit and played pretty darn good football. Led the league in receiving in 2016. Um, I went back to that 2012 draft. You want to hear some names? Oh, yeah. Give them to me. Justin Blackman. (laughs) Michael Floyd. Kendall Wright. That's Notre Dame grad. Michael Floyd. Easy now. A.J. Jenkins. Brian Quick. Stephen Hill. The last two names sound like they're running for Carmel School Board. (laughs) I mean, those are the first six wideouts taken in that draft. I can't even tell you any of them besides Blackman and Floyd that had any relevance in the NFL. If you like combine all their numbers, Eddie, I don't know if they get to Hilton's, you know, nearly ten thousand yards um, in his career. It, it was an awful wide receiver draft class. Ty is easily the class of that. Um, you know, some things stand out, and Eddie, feel free to interject on any Ty memories, but just the outright dominance in Houston. You know, when you think about. Indianapolis and Houston over the last decade, they've probably been the closest thing to a rivalry in the AFC South. I guess Indy and Tennessee would maybe fall into that category here as of late, but I think Indy and Houston had some of that. You know, Watson for the years that he was starting there would have been that. And hell, I mean, Houston had some sort of relevancy even when they had Osweiler and, you know, Watt was, of course, spearheading a lot of that and DeAndre Hopkins and all that. But for you to just be that dominant of a player on the road in the division um just you just don't take that for granted and obviously with the lack of success you've had in the afc south lately maybe it's become more apparent for me obviously the game you remember the most is the clown mask yeah and that 2018 playoff game the playoff win the lone playoff win in the reich ballard era and for ty hilton a man that didn't chirp a whole lot for him to chirp for him mm-hmm. to tell an equipment manager, go to Party City in Houston and get me a clown mask, and then for him to back it up, remember, early in that game, on the first drive of the game, T.Y. down the middle of the field for, what, 40 or 50 yards or whatever it was from luck, and that was a message to Houston, I'm going to talk, and now I'm going to walk. And you hear wide receivers talk a whole lot. It's the walking that doesn't always happen. hmm <laughs> And again, T.Y. did it in that moment. Um, Some other just memories that pop into my head about T.Y. Obviously, the Chief comeback playoff win. I was there. You know, him getting behind the defense for for the game winner. Yeah. What a great ball by Luck, and obviously what T.Y. did. That probably was his – well, that probably was his coming out moment to the entire NFL, Eddie. But I'll point to a game earlier in that season that I don't know if a lot of people – Recall, but I just felt like that was his coming-out moment. Which year was that? So that was 2013. The Colts had several big wins in that season. They beat San Francisco on the road, Trent Richardson's first game. They beat Peyton in their own building, um, and Peyton's comeback here. And they beat Seattle at home. And think back to that Seattle game. Obviously, a lot of its build is Russell Wilson versus Andrew Luck. But, I mean, that's a legion of boom. And T.Y. torched Richard Sherman and company in that game. Five for 140 in two touchdowns. I was going to say, I thought he had two scores. Five for 140?
1: Yep, in two touchdowns. That's such a Hilton stat line. You know, well, I he, would he, even go uh, before that, KB. I hate to interject during your, your no. monologue here, but uh, that Miami game, second week
0: of the season, uh, six catches, 124 yards. And uh, do, you, do you have, like, his game long? I mean, he certainly had some moments as a rookie. You know, I don't want to act like he didn't, but I just felt like to do it against that type of defense, Eddie, you know, Seattle was... The class of the NFL defensively at that time um, to do it against that group obviously had led the league in receiving in 2016 and you know I was thinking about this if you were going to rank the greatest wide receivers in NFL history under five eleven you know obviously Deshaun Jackson would be on mm-hmm. the list um, obviously Steve Smith would be on the list yeah you know who I mean who else Cooper Cup He's on that path. Is he under five? I thought Cooper Cup's six foot. Oh, well, he may be listed six feet tall, but no way he's six feet tall. I guess let's just go off listed weight. You know, I guess Hilton's up there in my eyes. Wes Welker, yeah, you'd put up there. Santana Moss, a really good career. I always thought Edelman was a tad bigger. But, yeah, I mean, we're obviously getting into technicalities here with some height. But what I'm getting at is kind of what I said to lead off. For a guy his size to be as durable as he was for as long as he was and then – To produce at a really high level for a decade, um, it it is a great, great Colts career. I mean, him and Mathis would be guys that I immediately think of, drafted outside of round one and round two, that had just incredible careers for this franchise. You know, Jeff Saturday, of course, would fall into that group as an undrafted guy. I, I know I'm forgetting others and probably should go back to the 80s and early 90s, but Um, If this is it for T.Y., incredible. Absolutely incredible. He seems content. His son's tearing it up for Zionsville. And we'll see if he ever plays again. But right now it does not look like that's going to be here in Indy.
1: Yeah, his game log rookie year, uh, you're asking about that. He had five 100-yard games, including his second game um, in the NFL against Jacksonville.
0: And he missed the opener. He did not play against Chicago. He was hurt in that game. Correct. And then I think from then so on, that's three, when yeah. he did the '94 uh, and '95 stretch. And you know, Reggie tore his ACL against Denver, right, in 2013. I thought it was, yeah, 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 because it, it was the,
1: the Peyton Peyton comeback game. game. Yeah, 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 it was on a fourth down, wasn't it? Boy, your
0: your memory would be better than mine. I was um, well, I I remember it because I was there. Yeah, I um. Yeah, that to me was just kind of the passing of the torch almost, you know, of Reggie to T.Y. of like, hey, this is now you as the number 1 wide out here. So um, let's move on from T.Y. Hilton. Let's head next to Kicker. And is it just me or does it seem like Rodrigo Blankenship got cut three years ago? Right. Right. Just with everything that's transpired, it seems like eons ago. I want to begin here, Eddie. You have that clip pulled up. Uh, I haven't pulled up yet. This is a clip from... We did a podcast just before training camp started on the position battles to watch. And I threw in Kicker as the final position battle. But I think you can hear in the tone of my voice here, just the skepticism I had on like, is this even a battle? You know, to me it wasn't like Nick Cross versus Rodney McLeod. You know, it didn't really classify as that. So we're going to play this clip. Again, this from late July, right before training camp started on... And I say in quotes, Rodrigo Blankenship versus Jake Verity. Hot Rod didn't miss a single kick in training camp last year. You know? Yeah. So, I I feel like the issue for me just comes down to very specific game settings. Because, you know, you've been out to training camp practices, Chris. Mm -hmm. It's not full bore in these kicking drills at all. So... When you're kicking in a game and you're thinking, "Oh man, they've got you know six, eight, Clayus Campbell on the other side," I got to get the ball high. I'm kicking from forty-eight, crowd noise, play clocks. You know, there's a lot of other factors that, and you could say there's about a lot of positions in training camp that are different than a game. But I think kicker, especially, I know it might be like, "Well, he's perfect in camp; he should be great in the season," is different. So uh, we'll see. Again, Eddie, I just, <sighs> I was like, "Wait, is this really the competition?" You know, it, it, they were so irate with Hot Rod getting hurt in the Baltimore pregame. Basically, you know, Hot Rod and Justin Tucker are kicking before the game starts last year. And you know how there's always that moment pregame where it's just the kickers on the field? Yeah. You know, guys are back in the locker room. National Anthem's about ready to get started. You know, a lot of people are starting to settle into their seats. And it's just kind of the kickers. Mm-hmm. And it's deep kicks, I feel like, always, with the kickers at that point. And a hot rod, I'm thinking to myself. God, he he's acting like, you know, he's Justin Tucker over there, and <laughs> he's testing out the leg, and sure enough, he gets hurt, and that might seem like kind of a minuscule thing to people, but I think it's an intel into kind of how hot rod is wire, wired. I'm um, super analytical, and I just think his ability to kind of block out stuff is difficult. I don't think he was ever totally comfortable in how he was as a kicker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll make a probably a stupid golf analogy, but, like, you know, there are golfers in the PJ Tour that can totally be in their comfort zone driving the ball 280 yards, which by PJ Tour standards is not very long. They know that that's their game. They're not going to deviate from it. That's who they are. It seemed like in that moment with Hot Rod, he was trying to drive at 320, trying to drive at 330, trying to do some things that's just out of him in his comfort zone. And I think that just kind of tells the story about things getting to him. And he's not like a Matt Prater kicker who just kind of just goes with the flow. And um, I think it's such a position that you're on an island, you're isolated from so many people during practice. You know, you've got to be incredibly mentally strong to. Kick at an extremely high level. Um, so I think that injury, the Colts are just flat out mad at him for it. Of like, dude, you got hurt because you were trying to imitate, you know, the greatest kicker in NFL history, different than the clutchest kicker in NFL history, that being Adam and Terry. Um, and so obviously, Michael Badgley kicks. They stick with Badgley. I think the reason why they didn't bring Badgley back is they wanted to try, they thought Badgley was too similar to Hot Rod. Basically, they felt like he didn't have that length element that they were looking for. So here comes Jake Verity, the mythical creature that is Jake Verity, who you were out (laughs) there, you were out there at Grand Park. I mean, hell, he definitely kicks the ball hard. Oh, yeah. And it sounds different when it comes off his foot, but he also kicked a few balls to like Noblesville and, and, you know, Pike Township. Like, you know, accuracy was a major issue. And I just felt like all offseason long, they never seriously thought about kicker. Like Verity? I mean, you look at his college stats and they won't wow you. Mm-mm. Um and this is where, you know, some of the roster building, I guess maybe just the competition is head scratching to me. You watched the playoffs unfold last year as an organization, while this might sound like a laughable subject, how do you not see what Cincinnati did and then come into your building Hell, after the divisional round, after the championship game, after the Super Bowl, and say, Are we doing the right thing at Kicker? Should we draft a Kicker? Like these are all questions. The offseason is about asking 1,332 questions and seeing what everybody you trust in your building believes in. And some of them might be idiotic questions, but you, you just ask them and you challenge yourself with that thinking. And I'm not acting like drafting a kicker would cure all. And I get it. You draft a kicker, and it looks weird. And there are some drafted kickers that have definitely not worked out. And you look at what Cleveland—I mean, Cleveland probably is the perfect example of it. So, obviously, Evan McPherson does what he did for Cincinnati. I think he mm-hmm. was, what, a fifth-round pick? Mm-hmm. So, look at Cleveland. They look at themselves as a playoff team. They see what Cincinnati did. They're thinking, hey, we need to make a move that maybe separates us from— the middle pack, or, you know, I guess just a little bit above the middle pack in the AFC, what do they do? They cut ties with Chase McLaughlin, ironically enough. They draft Cade York, and in week one, 58-yarder, boom. boom. Now, I know York missed one last week, but, like, that is the element of, I just never felt like the Colts offered Blankenship real competition. I, I I thought, I was like, does this dude have blackmail? On people in the organization. Like he was an undrafted free agent. It's not like he's, you know, Mason Crosby, Will Lutz. These are some names of kickers, Eddie, that I feel like in the last few years have had some ruts, have had yeah. some, you know, tough moments. But they also have had a dozen game winners on their resume and kicked big time in the playoffs and things like that. Hot Rod didn't have that. His kick in the playoff is off the upright in Buffalo and is a, is really a play that right up there with the Kamoko Cherry offsides penalty that were huge deciders. In that close game in Buffalo. Um, The other thing I want to point out was training camp kicking, insert golf analogy here, to me is almost like warming up on the driving range before a round. Mm -hmm. Eddie, you watched the field goal kickers kick, right, Mm -hmm. at Grand Park? The 11 on defense, they do not run after the kick like you saw Minka Fitzpatrick do a few weeks back. There is no attempt to block a kick. And I bring that up because with Hot Rod, I think a lot of it comes down to the live moments. Think back to the Baltimore game and Clayus Campbell blocking that kick Mm -hmm. or the Green Bay kick that he had. I think it was Green Bay in the regular season when he kicked it like short from 50 maybe it wasn't green bay maybe it was somebody else like you know he had a kick from like 50 and kicked it short i mean nfl kickers cannot be short from 50 yards and he admitted that he chunked it like he he thought about getting it high above that defensive line or yeah. you know whatever the kick block team and he just chunked it and so you watch training camp and in the back of your mind, the human element is there of just like a red jersey for a quarterback in training camp. Hey, they're not really rushing. I can kick a normal. I, I could probably kick it a little lower than normal. And just like last year. I mean, he was perfect in camp last year. He wasn't perfect this year, but he was still pretty good. I kind of walked out of Grand Park and I thought, well, good camp for Hot Rod, but does it mean anything? And I know I beat it a little bit into the ground about them not kicking in the Buffalo preseason game remember that they had a couple moments there where they could have tried like a 53 54 yarder yeah and I thinking to myself, this is a great opportunity to run him out there and maybe you run him out there maybe he misses that one and now you think to yourself hmm should we have him kick next week should we look at that kicker waiver wire a little bit more I asked Chris Boward at the end of August I go you still looking at kickers he said no I thought to myself, okay, we'll see how it goes. And then week one happens. And if the leash was going to be that short, like you literally cut him after one missed kick, then why wasn't the attention more there in the off season? Um, So that's just kind of where I'm at with it. Um, I, I probably have gone too long on it, Eddie, but I just wanted to make sure that it was brought up of in a league that has so much parity. A high-level field goal kicker is such a weapon. Oh, yeah. Such a weapon. And you—I a mean, 42-yarder indoors that he misses in Houston, that's a 90% success rate. Indoors, 42 yards. And he shanked it. Um, you were right on the game, by the way. It was was it Green Bay? Bay? Yeah. I think now, was... he also hit a game winner. Was that Green Bay?
1: Yes. Was that? Overtime game. Yeah. Hmm. I think that missed field goal would have won in regulation. Yeah, No, because no, Green Bay kicked one
0: to tie to force overtime. Yeah, I, I just thought a lot of it was just kind of a little bit mental with him of like, man, I need to hit low on the ball to get it up so it doesn't get blocked. And then all of a sudden you're sacrificing some distance with that. And, you know, Chase McLaughlin, ironically enough, Eddie, I thought he kicked great when Adam Terry had his awful 2019 season.
1: Also, that's another part of it. You have Jake Verity, and if you really like his leg, you know there's somebody here in Indiana that's one of the best to ever do it that you probably could have called up and like, hey,
0: can you help this guy? Do a little coaching action? Yeah. Uh, I thought McLaughlin, frankly, should have won the job in 2020. You know, him and Hot Rod were in a kicking competition in camp, and remember, you didn't have a preseason that year. And, and I guess it's just not something that maybe a lot of fans know or realize. And I'm going to report. The stats that I see in training camp, like, you know, they are somewhat relevant, but it's still a walk-through feel to those kicks. Um, So, we'll see how Chase McLaughlin does. Obviously, his family had to be thrilled with his performance on Saturday because he was only needed to do one kickoff. You mean Sunday? Sunday, and he maintained his job for another week, and they, um, they they cut the dude from Arizona off the practice squad. So, this is Chase McLaughlin's job for the foreseeable future there, but... You know, similar to left tackle, I just, kicker, I just, I don't know what Hot Rod had done to earn just kind of as long of a leash as he had. It's just not real competition. Okay, maybe you don't draft one. All right. What about signing the top undrafted guy? What about going out and making a move for a veteran kicker? I mean, again, Jake Verity's resume in college was like 60-some percent especially from longer distances and as soon as you miss that kick in buffalo miss the extra point it's like all right i mean why why is he here um you got anything else on kicker or have we lost everybody that was listening to this point (laughs) i think we're good on kicker all right man let's uh let's get into twitter questions before we do a prediction on sunday 19 of them let's go here's number
1: one comes from rodney uh, I need to hear Frank explain this. If they found out about Pierce and Pittman and Pittman on Saturday, uh, well, sorry, let me, let's restart that all. I need to hear Frank explain this. If they found out about Pierce on Friday and Pittman on Saturday, why was there no practice Friday? You don't have to hit in practice. You can run seven on seven uh, and form a game plan with the guys you've got. That makes no sense to me. What I mean is this. If he truly thought they were both locked in on Thursday but found out Uh, But found that not to be the case on Friday. How can they not attempt to adjust on the fly?
0: Yeah, um, I'm with Rodney on this. You know, Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman were up in the air. So I think when you're assembling a game plan, you have a game plan, but then you got to make sure you got some backup thoughts if those guys can't go, if they're limited, or if they get hurt during the game, you know, they find, you know, and. To me, this gets back to the usage of Naheem Hines and the lack of usage with him. Think about Hines, Eddie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't he your most experienced skill player?
1: Yeah. is it-
0: Always out there. Taking wide receiver reps. I mean, he knows the playbook. Naheem Hines is a guy that knows a lot of roles. I think he could handle a sudden change of... Hey, Naheem, we're actually going to use you a little bit more. It's not like you're asking a practice squad guy on Saturday morning yeah. to get 20 touches in a game. Um, and I don't just don't love the predetermining of practice. Like, oh, yeah, we're just – yeah, on Tuesday we decided we're not going to practice on Friday. See so, yeah, how the week plays out? And if Thursday's practice doesn't go well, then you're practicing on Friday. It just – the whole thing is odd. And, you know, Frank's explanation on Monday about the lack of Heinz usage – It it frankly made zero sense to me. And honestly, was a bit shocking, a bit worrisome of like, man, all of a sudden, because Pittman and Pierce, it showed up on Friday or Saturday that they weren't going to play, that meant that you couldn't expand Hines' role. You know, you've just gone through a couple COVID seasons. If that doesn't teach you that you should have backup plan after backup plan after backup plan, I don't know what does, so... Yeah, that one to me made zero sense. So Pittman was ruled out about 1245 on Saturday. And again, that's official. You know, Eddie, as soon as he doesn't practice on Thursday, you're gathering as an organization and saying, guys, Pittman's a little bit up in the air. Contingency plan. If he can't go, I want 21 to get more of a roll. Yeah. I mean, clearly you you, you had him involved heavily in the first series of the game. Um, Yeah, it just... Disappointing When I, when you look at the snap count afterwards and you see Kylan Granson and Desmond Patman and those guys out snapping Hines as significantly as they did. And the fact that he, you know, how do you not look at that first play of the game and be like, oh boy, that's some yeah. stuff we should come back to a little bit more.
1: Um, to me, what stood out is I don't want to get too far into this since we have so many questions. Um, Marcus Brady spoke yesterday and he said, yeah, when we found out about Pitt, we met together on Saturday, changed the game plan a little bit, and then you listened to what Frank had to say on Monday. He said the low snap count for the Colts' offense, he said you only had about like 47-ish meaningful snaps, and about the first 15 you had Naheem scripted in there. So it's like if you know you had to change it and you guys
0: came together and you changed it, how the hell is he not on the field more? I mean, if you're ranking the skill players you had, and you know what also is wild is like, Campbell doesn't get a target till the end of the game. You know, if you're going to tell me at the start of the day, start of the day, no Pittman, no Pierce, nine carries for Jonathan Taylor. Paris Campbell doesn't make any sort of statement in the game until an offensive pass interference penalty in the fourth quarter. I would have said, "Hello, Naheem Hines." Yeah. Hello. And instead, it was like how Adele says hello in that one song, like kind of <laughs> fades off like that. Hello. Yeah. Great, great impression there. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh,
1: Mark, I was never a Wentz fan, but it looks to me that some people may owe him an apology. Can't blame the wide receiver or tight end group yesterday, or I should say uh, this past weekend, uh, because they didn't improve from last year. Just saying.
0: Well, Mark, I make the argument they've gotten worse. I mean, Carson Wentz had Jack Doyle, T.Y. Hilton, and Zach I and mean, If you look at Washington's... Pass catchers, we did it on Monday. I mean, it's a far different group. Um do you ever pay attention to those next gen stats? Do you ever look into that? I do a little bit. So, you know, again, it's kind of some deeper analytics on each game. And I went back and looked at the numbers from week two, and there's a stat called aggressiveness, which basically it tracks how many of your pass attempts, so as a quarterback, how many of your pass attempts are thrown into tight coverage? Uh, So basically, if the defender—I think the criteria is if the defender is within one yard or less of the target at the time of the pass, completion or incompletion. Matt Ryan's aggressiveness percentage was 30% on Sunday. I know that might not be super relevant to a lot of people. That was 5% higher than any quarterback in the NFL. So basically— Matt Ryan was throwing into tighter windows than anyone else in the NFL by a decent margin on Sunday. and in a more of an elementary way to say it, those dudes weren't getting open. They weren't creating separation. And I think that just again continues to add to where you're at right now from a skill position
1: standpoint. Boy, you can get really lost in the weeds when you get on Next Gen Staff.
0: Yeah, you can. I I, I try not to get too deep into it, but I do think some of the stuff's pretty good. Um, Joel
1: is next. He says, thanks for the pod on Monday. He was one of the best yet. Uh, Thank you for that. Something I want your opinion on. You said multiple times... That folks don't give Frank Reich enough credit as a play caller and offensive mind. I would ask, what has he done to earn our trust as a play caller? The national media especially has this narrative that Frank is an offensive guru, noting the Super Bowl win in Philly as evidence. The thing is, Doug Peterson was calling the plays. Frank never had experience in this league as a play caller or a head coach, and he now is doing both. In my mind, he has not proven to be a good play caller as... We, as fans, time and time again wonder what the hell he's thinking, but you said we don't give him enough credit. Change my mind.
0: There we go. I like it, Joel. I like I Trust me, I love when people challenge uh, me and vice versa. Honestly, it's what I love about how interactive this podcast is. Um, so I, I genuinely appreciate the question, Joel. Um, Eddie, I'm going to start here. I think in the football world, I'm not sure there's an element that fans critique more than play calling. Like, I'm a big Notre Dame fan, and oh, my gosh, these people want Tommy Reese, like, thrown in the South Bend River. I don't even know if there is a South Bend River. Maybe it's the Uh St. Joe's River up there. Um, It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, every fourth down call I feel like is live or die, life or death. It's like, you know, one little breakdown from your right guard, they could have a genius play call, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, it just seems like there's so much at stake. I think the art of play calling is very difficult very difficult. Uh trends with how you handle play calls, setting things up. You know, there's obviously the defense is trying to execute their own version of a chess match and again, one subtle breakdown and you're screwed. Um and to Joel's point, I hear this take from a lot of people. I think there was a lot of people listening to this podcast and I I know we had some YouTube commenters Eddie that were like, "Oh, Kevin thinks Frank's a, you know, decent play caller." Well, that just changed my opinion of what Kevin thinks. <laughs> um so I, I know that there's a decent amount of people out here that have this sort of take. Um, do I think offensive guru should be the phrase thrown out there with Frank Reich? No. Do I think he's an above-average play caller? I do. Eddie. The Colts, under Frank Reich, where they finished in points scored per game? 2018. 5th. 2019. 16th. 2020. ninth. And last year, ninth. Top ten. I mean, think about that. Luck, Bursette, Rivers, Wentz. Now, we can separate two things. Is the constant change at quarterback an issue? Yes. That is a topic that we don't need to discuss. That's not relevant to this question. What's relevant here is you've changed quarterbacks on an annual basis, and yet year in and year out, you've been an average to above-average scoring offense, and you finish in the top 10 in three of those seasons. And I don't think anyone would sit here and say you had top 10 talent at wide receiver or tight end in any of those seasons. I mean, T.Y. was trailing. Michael Pittman's had a really nice kind of like one year probably, maybe back in his rookie season Then obviously last year. Um, Certainly your offensive line has been good, and Jonathan Taylor helps in a great way. But I guarantee you, Eddie, if I would have stopped a Colt fan on the street if I had to stop Joel, and Joel, I'm not attacking you. you, you, you Joel and I have a g- good back and forth. But if I stopped Joel in the street in 2018 and said, Joel, you're going to have a new quarterback for five straight years. Your best pass-catching weapons will be approaching 30-year-old T.Y. Hilton and approaching 30-year-old Jack Doyle. Would you take these point totals on an annual basis? I think you would. Yeah, it's not perfect. He, offensive guru, no, no, no. But I do think he's an above-average play caller in this league. Um, now, to the point we just had with the question earlier, the Heinz usage on Saturday, again, that's malpra- or Sunday. I don't know why I keep saying Saturday. That's malpractice. That's stuff that cannot happen. But I think for the most part, Frank gives you a better-than-average chance from an offensive standpoint. And I know people will, will, will disagree with that. I like to think that those numbers are pretty, pretty substantial. And sure, you know some turnovers play into that. Those obviously help you, but I mean we're talking fifth, ninth, ninth, three of those four years. Pretty good numbers.
1: Yep, I agree with
0: you there. Uh, this is from Colt. Congrats on the baby, Kevin. Hey, Colt. Hey, he told me this, uh, Eddie. He said he named. He's named after the Colts. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colt was saying he, that he uh, he cooked for the team uh, during their Super Bowl run. In uh, Can he cook for him again? I will have to dial him up. Um, He had another connection. I forget, like a Freeney-related one. But yeah, Colt seems like a good dude. Uh, He says, I
1: have almost a two-year-old twin boys, and it's incredible.
0: I love it, Colt. Love it. Twin boys, man. Uh,
1: Woo-hoo-hoo. Good luck breaking up
0: those fights. He also says, congrats
1: to Maddie. No epidural. Can, Can you believe that? He said, definitely harder than sitting through the uh, nauseating performances.
0: Well, I, I think uh, Maddie would agree wholeheartedly with you, Colt, <laughs> and she'd probably want to insert a cuss word after that. Uh,
1: two questions. I'll let you answer this first one, then I'll get to the second one. Uh, everyone contributes the regression of the O-line to Anthony Costanzo retiring, but I'm certain it all started after 2018 with the firing of Dave Guglielmo, oh, boy, the offensive line coach.
0: Yeah, Googe, the old firing there. Yeah, you know, like... You know, I felt this about D-line, Eddie, because there's been a, a lot of turnover there. Either you don't have the right ingredients or the chef's not using the ingredients right. And, you know, what's going on with that O-line? Because, for the most part, you kind of settled on, you know, three of the five, Kelly, Nelson, and Braden Smith, at a, you know, probably at the quarter pole, um, and maybe it was probably the halfway point of that 2018 season. Um, and Guj was he was if I'm not mistaken he was one of the McDaniel's assistants I think he Matt Abreuflus fell into that group as well um, and yeah he just didn't see eye to eye with Frank and if you look at Guj's resume it's been a frequent stopper around the league so maybe there's a little bit, little bit of something there but yeah I think it's a, it's worth pointing out and I've thought this I, I don't I don't think we're there yet I don't think necessarily the Colts would make that sort of move but like. Anytime you have struggles, someone becomes a scapegoat. Hot Rod, you know, Hot Rod could fall into that category. I think back to Pep Hamilton when he got oh, fired yeah. at the midseason, and Rob Chazensky was promoted again. I'm not thinking that this is like going to happen anytime soon, but like I'm I'm looking at things. I'm like, well, O line is underperforming. Could they fire Chris Strawser and promote Kevin Why? You know, like yeah, I don't know. Again, you you just when you've had struggles like they've had, you just kind of throw stuff at the wall and see if any of it makes sense. But, yeah, I think O-line has clearly been an issue. Number two from Colt, uh, DeForest
1: was a solid performer when we got him, as was in Ngakwe. Why can't the general manager, coach, and owner step in and demand a 30% blitz rate from Bla- Bradley? More man, why can't the owner, GM, demand Hines and Taylor get 50% Play calling touches. This team has holes, but also has talent.
0: Why don't the higher-ups
1: take control of the coaching deficiencies?
0: You know, one thing I didn't mention on Monday, that going back and watching the game, I want to reiterate, and this kind of falls into the, what is Frank Reich's title? Joel Joel wanted to ask offensive play caller. What is his title, Eddie? Head coach. Thank you. If I'm Frank Reich last Monday, and I don't know, maybe he did this. If I'm Frank Reich last Monday... I walk down to Gus Bradley's office and I say, Gus, you weren't here last year, but I'm going to sit down and let's watch the opening drive of the loss to Jacksonville from last season. And I sit here and I say to him, that is a 50% passer that we let complete every single pass on the opening drive. And while all those Jacksonville guys were thinking, man, that pina colada is going to taste real good in the Caribbean come tomorrow (laughs) when our season's over. They got hope right there, right at one o one o eight p.m. Spiro Dita said, oh boy, what a start for the Jags. Trevor Lawrence, perfect on the opening drive. And they got hope. And if I was Frank Reich, I would say to Gus Bradley, and I'd make it very clear, this is what happened last year. To win, I think it's fair to say, so far in the NFL, Trevor Lawrence has been an average quarterback. Fair, Maybe not even average. D- demand, this cannot happen again. Like, I I don't care what scheme you want to develop, but we let Trevor Lawrence dictate to us. We hoped Trevor would make mistakes. We need to dictate to him. We need to disrupt timing. We need to, you know, whatever. From a blitzing standpoint, whatever you want to cook up that is going to disrupt and really force this rookie quarterback or second-year quarterback to continue to make a lot of the mistakes he's made so far in his 19-game NFL career, that did not happen. So I think this falls into Colt's question of a again when you have that title as head coach to me i I, I don't maybe I'm dead wrong I just think some of that's lacking I
1: can see that a little bit too
0: and again when it's so glaring and so obvious in last year the season finale that has got to I mean I know what Frank thinks about it endlessly I mean hell you sit there Jim Mercy's office how does it not mm-hmm. you know three hours after that game ends and for then the same opening drive to play out, and frankly, it felt like the same game. I don't know about you, Eddie. I felt like oh, watching yeah. that game, I Matt, felt like it was the same exact game. Matt Taylor and Rick Vitrui said the same thing on the call on the radio. This is the same exact game. The interceptions look similar from Ryan and Wentz. Taylor going nowhere. Ryan under siege. You know, Marvin Jones doing his thing. Yeah, I do uh,
1: This question comes from Zach. Uh, he wants to congratulate you on the baby boy again. Thank you, Zach. Halfway through the pod, I'm assuming on Mondays, he's wondering if these losses caused the team to have some urgency and sign an OBJ type of player or make some type of move. They normally wouldn't, but with jobs on the line, you have to do something.
0: When is OBJ healthy? Probably November. Don't they still have like a, his locker up with the Rams?
1: Yeah, there was a report that came out yesterday or earlier today that uh, his final three teams that he's probably going to be deciding between are the Giants, the Bills, and the
0: Rams. Give those to me again. Giants, Bills, Rams. Boy, there's some juice in that trio, the 2-0 Giants. Um, Yeah, again, when is he healthy? Does he want to come here? That's probably the bigger question. If you've watched the Colts so far, and you were Odell Beckham, would you want to come here?
1: Nope. Especially, you know, in the offseason, he had that tweet about, you know, Matty Ice going to cook it up or something in Indy. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Uh, Andrew. Hey, KB. My question is, how can a team with multiple pro bowlers come out so lifeless through the first two weeks, and is the slow start in, in Dick, is an indictment of Frank Reich And Chris Ballard's roster-building philosophy.
0: Again, everyone to blame. Um, I I wrote an article, uh, posted up on 107.5, the fan.com. Top, bottom. I'll go over, Eddie. Remember, we did the podcast right before the season started. What am I most confident in? What am I least confident in? Yep. About this Colts team. I went back and looked at the least confident. Number one, supporting Michael Pittman. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two, offensive line elite, question mark. Okay. Okay. And number three, playing with a bullseye. Touchdown favorite, field goal favorite. L, tie. Yeah. Yeah. So the worries preseason have shown up, I would say, in a very clear way here, week one and week two. So when you factor that in, top down.
1: Uh, Hillary. Hillary, good to hear from you. Obviously, talent is an issue, but the lack of energy we see from the head coach completely reflects on the team. Do you think Frank's demeanor influences the team's vibes?
0: Yeah, I... We got we got into a little bit of this on Monday. Yeah, we, we, we did, Hillary. And I, I want to kind of take you guys behind the scenes a little bit to today's press conference. And if any of you will watch today's press conference, I don't know how frequently you guys do watch the press conferences. Do, do, do they do them live, Eddie? No. Okay. So you would have to go back on YouTube or- It's usually about .com or four hours,
1: five hours later after it happens. when they post so, them. Yeah. So it should be up probably, well, as we record this, it's 3.53, so any minute.
0: Yeah. I, um, I sat there, and I don't think I tweeted one time during the press conference, which is pretty rare for me. I usually send a couple tweets during the presser, but I really just kind of wanted to soak it all in. And I sat there and thought to myself, this is the most- Animated, I've ever seen Frank Reich in a Wednesday presser. Animated how? Talking a little bit faster than normal. Talking a little bit louder than normal. Um, a little more body language, voice inflection, gestures. Now, people will go and watch this, and they'll be like, "Wait, what? That is what you call animation?" I've sat in now whatever a hundred Frank Reich press conferences. So I think I have a decent idea of what his normal demeanor is. Mm-hmm. It is subdued, very subdued. There's times that the press conference gets over, and I'll go over to a Colt's PR staff member, and I'll be like, everything okay with Frank? <laughs> Seriously, you know, it's like you you, you just want to make sure everything's okay. He is a very subdued individual. And so I know I'm going like uber psychiatrist here with some of this, but the message what he said today was no different than what he said you know we believe in our process you know it it was very similar to kind of what it's early in the season so nobody is going to like the words I think that came out of Frank Reich's mouth today if fans want to hear different stuff but body language was different for me and I kind of sat there and honestly my locker room time today was spent more of just kind of thinking back to the presser and I'm like this is the first probably serious amount of adversity in Frank Reich's career head coaching career um I mean think about it the line in Vegas right now I think he's second on the list for the first coach to be fired in the NFL this season behind Matt Matt Rule you know when they started one and five in 2018 and you brought that up today I don't think that is comparable to this start I mean that's honeymoon period one and five in 2018 yeah totally new defense Andrew Luck hadn't played football in a year like That, to me, is nothing like what this is right now with these last four games dating mm-hmm. back to last season. Um, so I guess, Hillary, I'm sharing all of that to just kind of paint a little bit of a picture. And I I asked Frank this, you know, where's the balance of you as a head coach want to keep your message consistent, but yet the results are not there. So do you deviate? Do you alter? Do you show more emotion? You know, and we kind of touched on this more on Monday with that, um, he said this, rah-rah speeches, that to me doesn't really matter. The Saturday night, he goes, if you guys would have watched the Saturday night speech before the Jacksonville game, you would have thought we won by 40. And it, I think in the NFL, I, I tend to agree. Sure, are there outliers? Are there probably moments where guys have just been blown away? Sure. But I just think in the NFL, for the most part, it's a lot of self-motivation. Um, Now, I'll go back to the earlier points that I've made, though, of a canceling of a Friday practice predetermined, not using Naeem Hines, you know, your your defense having the same sort of performance they did in the season finale against Trevor Lawrence. Those are more of the CEO type things where I'm kind of like, demeanor, nice guy. You know, Eddie, you can probably point to several head coaches, Tony Dungy probably being one of them, that were on that scale and had great success um so i don't know I, I, it's a little bit of a part of it sure but i don't necessarily think it's everything jj should the colts trade jonathan
1: taylor it's a shame to waste his talent on such a mediocre team colts have many needs including quarterback and a few additional draft picks will help
0: Hey, hey, JJ, I'm all for collecting more picks, but yeah, it's not happening. Running back trades in the NFL don't happen of that magnitude. Yeah, it's not. I mean, no, Jonathan Taylor's not being
1: traded. Look at Kareem Hunt, for example. He requested and demanded for a trade in preseason. Yeah. Didn't happen. It just, yeah, it just doesn't happen. Uh, Daniel, now we have played uh, the first two games of the season. I want to ask you the same question I asked you before the season started and get your updated thoughts. Thanks again and keep up the great work. Where are the Colts going to be if they don't start 2-0 and against the Jags and the Texans? I see these two teams as must-wins, and anything less would be a disastrous start to the season. I don't want to think about it, but if we start the season 0-2, seats will be running red hot. And I remember him asking this question, too.
0: Yeah, it is funny. Um, Daniel, you're certainly on to something with that. Colts just sent out their injury report, 52-53 of 53 practiced. So that's good news there. Good. Uh, Bernard Ryman, which we mentioned earlier. He's the only one that did not practice. So limited for Buckner and Gakwe and Pittman. And everybody else full. So pretty good injury report. A little long, though. Three, six, nine, ten names, something like that. Anyways, um, yeah, Daniel, you were onto something. This should be hot. And again, September firings are rare. And Eddie, I, I do think we have to focus on this, too. The Colts are a bad football team right now. That can be true, and I can also say this. When I see Vegas have the Colts as the favorite in the AFC South right now, I probably think, well, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) You know, and like September firings are rare. They're especially rare when you're in a division where if you look at the over-under on win totals for the four teams, is anyone over 7.5 right now? Uh no. and Colts are at seven and a half. That's their over under. I'd assume Tennessee is probably the seven same. and a half or six and a half. And Jacksonville is six and a half and Houston's yep. like four and a half. Yeah. It just so again, I, I there are levels of embarrassment for Jim Ursa, and I touched on this on Monday. The next level to me could be on the horizon in that now you're playing at home. I'm not like predicting the Colts are gonna lose by forty on Sunday, but like now you're at home. Now your home fan base reacts and the owner's in the building for that so honestly the home fans control a lot of this but what happens with kansas city what happens with tennessee did you hear jim mercy's comments this offseason yeah he did not hold back in talking about tennessee
1: thank god aj brown's gone
0: (laughs) he did not hold back and then as i mentioned on monday you know what you've got coming up here um in a month and that would be one carson Wentz back in back in your building next question is from
1: matt Based on what we know of Frank Reich, some of the things we've heard him say in the past and some of the decisions he's both made on and off the field, should we be concerned that he, and possibly Ballard as well, rely too heavily upon faith and or belief in players and situations versus tangible performances and results? I think about some head-scratching moments in decisions where they've stubbornly stuck with a player, a play call, or a philosophy when it seems obvious to everyone else that it's not working. Are they judging by what is true or what they want to be true? His example was the wide receivers.
0: Eddie, read that last sentence for me again.
1: Are they judging by what is true or what they want
0: to be true? Man kind of jarring to hear that That's it's a fair question boy it's totally fair matt it is totally fair um i would agree and i guarantee you if a member of that colt's front office heard that they'd be like no that you know that is not true but how preposterous you know i i think there are some actions that would lend you to think that the blind loyalty has been there at times and it has been a little bit... I mean, hell, Hot Rod would be an example of that. We just went over it. Eddie, I'm going to turn on the lights in here. It's so dark. That's fine. Um, I guess i us turn it on over here. Um, y- you know... Yeah, I do. It's... One of those things with Frank, it's... I think how you treat Monday through Saturday, Eddie. When you're formulating a game plan, and you're behind a closed door, no players are around you're critical you're saying to your staff guys i don't trust this guy as much as i trust another guy you know we, we we need to get him involved and obviously when you get outside that door and you go see the guy that you don't trust very much in the hallway you're slapping on the butt and be like come on you know hey, hey, here we go you know I got, I got so much faith in you man like we're gonna come to you in a critical moment and you're, you're gonna make a big play but you got to be honest with yourself when you're again formulating a game plan yeah and you know I, i'm thinking back to like those days when you know you'd have eight guys on your basketball team and you have to play everyone at least two quarters well just cuz the kids on the floor for two quarters doesn't mean you're running the picket fence for him <laughs> it doesn't mean hey, clear out here billy uh, we're <laughs> going to give billy a little isolation here no you're not doing that <laughs> so i that's where i think and i am obviously you know being a little tongue in cheek here but that's where i think at times I go back to the example I used on Monday's pod. I think it was Monday's pod where I asked Frank and May, you know, is this a key evaluation time for your whiteout group? And he says, yeah, it is, and we'll make a decision after this, but I already know what my answer is going to be to Chris. Yep. I, I mean, what <laughs> you know, it's like, why even practice then? <laughs> you know, that, that, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of my thought process with that. So um, I just think you've got to be so critical with a fine-tooth comb, with your entire roster, your entire game plan. And then when Sunday at one o'clock hits, you can be as joyous and no one believes in us. And it's just us 46 that are dressing on game day and all that. And you can hype up everybody. But there's a reason Michael Pittman plays as many snaps as he does. And Desmond Patman plays as many snaps as he does. Yeah. You know, so I hope that makes sense. I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking, Matt, but it's kind of what popped into my head. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. Yes.
1: Hey amen. 13. Uh Jordan, we've got nine questions left. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry, we're going long. Hey Kevin, to do you it quick it's okay. Uh do you think Ballard has ignored the glaring need to address left tackle so he could keep putting someone out there on the cheap so he could justify paying Quentin Nelson twenty million a year?
0: Um n- <sighs> again, for left tackle. Eddie, this is an overtime period. This is a three or four year argument. I, I I'd I'd argue at least multiple years, I'd argue probably more of a three or four year issue. Like yep. you know, I you can't pay everyone twenty twenty million, obviously, but you know, if you would have found a rookie two or three years ago, that rookie would be on the end of his, you know, contract. You wouldn't necessarily be paying him an absurd amount of money, but maybe that guy would have developed into a starting tackle. Um and I just hearing this question is just reiterating to me the need to hit on rookie contracts. Um. So yeah. Uh, flipping
1: and Ben. Uh, if the offense continues to heavily rely on Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, will Ballard be forced to make additions via free agency or trade?
0: Kenny Galladay or Tyler Lockett come to mind. I mean, be forced? I don't know if I'd use that sort of phrase, but, I mean, how do you not? And honestly, when I saw the T.Y. Michael Katz tweet, I'm thinking to myself, did it take that embarrassment for the Colts to go out there and pry T.Y. off the couch and beg him to come back to West 56th Street? Um, we'll obviously see if that happens. And, you know, a trade, you wouldn't necessarily need this, but, again, it's a two-way street. Um, and you got to remember, it wouldn't take major draft capital, I think, especially to get a guy like Galladay. He just your... played
1: two snaps in their last game.
0: Yeah, but in the back of your mind, you still got to think about quarterback in the future and trying to acquire that quarterback and making sure you have enough draft capital to do that. Colts, chatter, a rather lengthy one. Okay. You can you, you, you can uh, paraphrase if you need to. Um, uh,
1: There's a couple of questions in here, so we'll do one at a time. Okay. Ca- First of all, congrats on the birth of your second child. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Hope everything is going well for you guys. Haven't submitted a question in a while, but this disaster has me so confused. I knew it was over when I found out Frank decided not to defer. My question is really just what the heck is going on? Did all of our all pro slash pro bowl slash very good players just drop off a cliff or is this team not prepared?
0: Yeah, I think we've kind of hit on a decent amount of this. Um it, it, To me, this feels a little different than the other starts, Eddie. I, I just... This is the worst start for me, based off how you ended last year, the opponents you played these first two weeks, and we're sitting here going into week three, and the Colts have played one good quarter of football. Uh, Now we're obviously going to find out. Like, right now they are not a good football team. Right. Now it's also September 21st, so it's a long way to go. Uh, But right now it's not like, oh, man, there's been some nice flashes here early in the season. I mean, the flashes have been a comeback in the fourth quarter against the Texans. Like, there were no flashes against Jacksonville. Um. So yeah. Again, we're gonna we're gonna find out. Uh,
1: this is from James. Hey, Kevin. Huge, co- uh, huge. Con- <laughs> wow. Speaking is hard. Hey, Kevin. Uh, huge congrats on baby number two. Appreciate it, James. Just a quick question for the next pod. After that disgraceful loss, did we underestimate the importance of Mark Glowinski? The line looks a mess at the minute.
0: You know, I guess maybe throwing Chris Reed. You know, in, into that group. Um, You know, if Ryman was healthy, part of me thought, you know, would you throw Ryman at left tackle, move Pryor to right guard? You know, Pryor's got guard experience. Yeah. And, and you know, put Pinter in kind of that six-man role, if you will. Uh, where's Dennis Kelly at? You know, could he yeah. impact it all? We haven't really talked about him, but, you know, not seeing Ryman today.
1: Is he on the IR? No, he's, he's, see he's active. on active.
0: 53, um, and he's practicing. I don't even think he was on the injury report today. He so. wasn't
1: on it last week either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. the the O line had some losses, but I, you know, I'd like to think you could overcome a loss of Mark Lewinsky, but clearly not. Did you see the video Dan Orlovsky put out today? I did not.
1: Um, check out it. Check it out. It's on okay. his Twitter. He does a film breakdown of the. It's a. It's like a minute forty five, minute forty seven, I think. Yeah. Um, of the Colts game from Jacksonville. Okay. And I can't Should tell I have you. Have a drink close by. No, it's just one play. Oh, okay. He just explains what happens on the one specific play he's watching. But essentially, he was talking about the Jags overloaded one side of the ball, and what should have happened is uh, Nelson, Kelly, Pinter, and Smith should have slid right because I think there were four guys, or there was three, one showing pressure, leave the— Was
0: that Josh Allen looping around?
1: Yes. I do Uh, remember this. Um, Josh Allen looping around, Matt Pryor just absolutely def- whipping him. In my mm-hmm. opinion, he just straight got right past him, leave the uh, leave Jonathan Taylor as the back to block the safety, but instead uh, Kelly goes left, and he and Nelson kind of double team a guy, and that left Pryor on an island one on one. So that was just something I, that he put out today.
0: Yeah, you know, you're obviously seeing some individual beats, but you're also seeing some stunts just absolutely, you know, mental yeah. breakdowns and stuff like that. And
1: another part of it was like I think there was a stunt on the right side of the line and Pinter and Smith didn't switch or pass off the guy that Pinter was blocking to Smith and another guy came in through the inside who would have got to to Matt Ryan if Josh yeah. Allen then beat. Like you to gotta matter.
0: think, Chris Jones is gonna be opposite Danny Bencher every snap,
1: That's Oof. So, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, you better get some get some help that way. Um, who is calling me? Oh, he knows I am recording the pod. Uh, K. Ferguson, two thousand six at Jaguars, two thousand eleven at the Saints, two thousand seventeen home against the Jaguars, two thousand twenty one at Jaguars, mm-hmm. and yesterday. There's some ringing endorsements.
0: Does he want me to rank these games?
1: I don't know. This is what? the one that he said. Uh...
0: Yeah, that is a. Um, yeah, I guess, a, you know, ranking them from worst to. Like, part of me just hears those years in teams and thinks let's just stab our eyes with pens and golf tees instead. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, 2021 Jags, I think that's the worst. Sunday is probably right up there. Two thousand eleven Saints. God wasn't that sixty two to nothing, I think, on Monday night football. No, yeah, th- that was
1: two thousand seventeen. Well, right? they've
0: had multiple Saints meltdowns on Monday night football. Um the Drew you're thinking of the Drew Brees perfect game, twenty nine to thirty or what <laughs> yeah it was. Yeah, they all sixty two pre- seven, yeah. Sixty two seven, yeah. <laughs> God. Um you know how hard it is to score sixty two points with how much the clock runs in the NFL? I, I thought you know, this the other day, I saw one of Urse's hat picks. I'm like, Ursay should do a hat pick for like the fans of the Titans, Jags, and Texans saying thank you for having such <laughs> awful football. Here's a thank you. And because you guys cheer for such awful teams, that means my team will not be out of it for quite some time. I don't know. A little hat pick action there.
1: Yeah. Uh powers that be you think Sean Payton can be lured in here? I heard a lot of buzz preseason about him wanting to make a return.
0: Yeah, I think Sean Payton will be a head coach in the NFL next season. Uh, correct me if I am wrong. Yet he, team's got to trade for him.
1: Correct. I he is under contract with the Saints through twenty twenty four. So, uh, if Could under my un, un yeah under my you know estimation or guesstimation here, I would assume that you would have to trade for his contract rights. Mm-hmm. Not sure what New Orleans would want
0: yeah I yeah that obviously is not something you typically see, um uh, but yeah, I get every indication that Sean Payton wants to coach and wants to coach soon, so three questions
1: left uh Arturo and AJ this question comes from last week with the misery of watching Notre Dame and the Colts play this weekend. I like how you threw in last week because Notre Dame picked mm-hmm. up a win, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with watching the misery of those two teams this past weekend, um, it could be the emotions running high, but at this point, uh, just draft a kicker and relieve me of the misery.
0: <laughs> again, it, it's not the craziest idea. You know, Eddie, I was thinking back on you know, some of picks, and in, in a range, you would draft kickers. Like, fifth round. And again, this year, Eric Johnson. Obviously, you, you had, you've had good fifth-round picks. Jordan Wilkins would be, I think, near the top of that list. Anthony Walker would definitely be at the top of the list. But, again, you've also had—didn't you, you cut Sean Davis last year? The safety mm-hmm. pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Reese Fountain never really developed.
1: Uh, did Sean Davis even make it through training camp?
0: Yeah, I, I'm starting to think about it. I'm like, gosh, did he? I think he might have got cut at the final cutdown, but I, he never even— Sniffed a roster spot. You know, Marvel Tell is a guy that you know didn't really pan out. And sure, some of these fifth round picks had a moment or two. But you know, I just sit here and think to myself, like, and I'm not sitting here for one minute like you draft a kicker and you automatically cure it. Like, there's drafted kickers that don't work out. But if you can do that, like, oh my gosh, I mean, if you can find a quality kicker, a top seven kicker in this league for the next decade, to me. Hell yeah, that's worth a fifth-round pick. And again, thats it might sound crazy for some people to hear that, but this league, way too much, way too much end-of-game situations not to have a quality kicker.
1: Uh, Joel, with a second question that made it on the pod. This is also with Craig. Uh, do you think Reich, a.k.a. the riverboat gambler, goes too far sometimes? On Sunday, he called an awful wildcat at Houston's three-yard line in Campbell Way with no points. Year after year seems to have the same result where we have close games in the end and wished we had the easy points. Mm-hmm. Should we just start taking the points when we can?
0: Yeah, and again, these some of these questions came from week one. Eddie, there's this balance. I, I like aggression. Um, I think it's important to have. I think it's these, this balance where you play. And I know some people would strongly disagree with this, which is fine. There's a balance when you play, I think, some of these bad teams where those teams are looking for hope. Mm-hmm. They're looking for belief. They need you to help them find that. And in that Houston case, to me, I felt like the Colts moved the ball pretty well early in that game. I felt like the oh, Colts yeah. were controlling field position and and – I just felt like they were the better team a little bit early on. And boom, as soon as that fourth down stopped, all of a sudden you ignited that stadium, which I don't know if that is even possible. I think that venue is a horrible atmosphere post-JJ Watt. Um, but you just kind of gave them hope. So, I, again, I know I'm like, well, when you play bad teams, that means you don't get as aggressive. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Um, I just think to this question – there are also a lot of times where you do get fourth downs and you do stay aggressive, and we just don't acknowledge them. Yeah, you know, we're just like, oh yeah, you know, oh boy, got got lucky there. We're not going to talk about that on Monday. Whereas <laughs> you don't get them, like people want to critique it for like an hour.
1: Uh, last question. Last, last question comes from Chris. Uh, which is more concerning for you: the drops by the entire Colts team, wide receivers, tight ends, and including quarterback snaps. Or the inconsistencies in the kicking game, including kickoff penalties?
0: Yeah, I again, special teams penalties, that, that stuff unfortunately can happen. I mean, it's just unbelievable the speed that those plays are at. And those guys are just trying to keep their spot in the roster. I just think some of that happens. The drops, that's where it falls kind of in the inexcusable category. You know, you are not talented enough at wide receiver and tight end to overcome that. Mm-hmm. The Colts are big believers. Like Ebron, I think is a perfect example. They took a chance on Ebron because they felt like they could live with his drops and he would make enough plays. Desmond Patman and Alec Pierce and um, you know Doolin. I mean, some of the, they they just they're not going to create enough big plays for you, in my opinion, to overcome that. I, I think we've seen that in the first couple weeks. So when you are a not talented pass catching group, the fundamentals have got to be there.
1: Uh, quick stat i just found on next gen stats.
0: Oh, you're in a rabbit hole.
1: I am uh third in the NFL in yards or average separation in routes. Guess who is
0: third? Guess. He's a member of the Colts. Doolin? No. Granson. Yep. Yeah. He's had a couple of I think schemed up very nicely. Uh crossers and things like that. Mhm. Yeah, uh, well, I would say he's an outlier in that group Based off what we've seen out of them so far All right, Eddie, it's been a long podcast I need a prediction from you uh, for Sunday Six and a half point underdog, the Colts
1: What's the total?
0: Uh, I'm going to guess
1: 50 Let me pull it up I like to keep my predictions
0: around that In line with Vegas? Yeah You want me to go first? Go for that. It. 50 and a half i was close really close yeah uh chiefs 31 colts 20 I, you know I, I think there is whoa um yeah 31 23 i think you have half the blueprint against the kansas city team and half it being taylor mm-hmm. um but I, can the four-man rush get home can it get home um, this morning, as I was walking Max, I was looking up Mahomes' numbers. He's walking already? Hey, he's got an incredible <laughs> oh, athleticism be, in there. I was going to say, man, they would be running some routes for the Colts, honestly, if that was the case. <laughs> um, I looked up Mahomes' numbers against Gus Bradley. 6-1, and one, right? 6-1 and one at the average points. Not a huge number. I think it's like 26, 27. 15 TDs, two picks. Um, you, know, you think back to that 2019 meeting when you beat them. No Tyreek Hill in that game. Should mention that. No Shaquille Leonard in that game as well. Um, what you did is Kamoko Terry literally hit him and hurt Mahomes early in the game, and he was hobbled. And that sent a message. It obviously injured him, which was huge. And um, that was a big factor. You ran the ball 45 times in that game for you had the ball for more than 15 minutes. You know, all the recipes. You had at one point you had a 14 play, 35 yard drive, which I thought only Navy did. Yeah. It was incredible controlling the ball. Venateri made a bunch of short field goals and you won that game. Um I just think Kansas City with a ten day break, sitting there and watching what Buffalo did on Monday night, I think Kansas City's gonna have a psyche of not only are we playing in a great division and need to win to maintain that. Remember, Eddie, it's just one bye in the playoffs. That number one seed means even more. And Buffalo, they don't look like a team is letting up anytime soon. So I just think you'll have a Kansas City team that will be pretty locked in off the ten-day break, um, so I will go with Chiefs thirty-one, Colts twenty-three. Andy Reid is four and one
1: after a Thursday night game. Interesting. Thirteen and one after buys. Well, uh, none of that sounds good for the Colts. The lone loss. The Redskins, two thousand twelve. Boom. Um, but here is my my prediction. Yeah, um, I'm going to go Chiefs 27 20. It's a late drive from Patrick Mahomes that'll win it.
0: Oh boy, So you think tie game? Late, late. I do. Interesting.
1: I look at the way that LA played them, and LA, you know, they had it. They had their chances to win that game. They dominated the clock, time of possession, kept Mahomes off the field. Colts can certainly do that. Um, hopefully Pittman is healthy because I think that changes everything. Um, uh, but I do like. I do like the twenty-seven All right,
0: let's come back on Monday. Um, we'll do a recap pod, and then Wednesday again, it'll be Tennessee next week, another home game for the Colts. Uh, anything else, Eddie? I can't think of anything. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Thanks for listening to Kevin's Corner. We will talk to you on Monday. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.